Balancing the military with any career is difficult, but it takes a special person to be both a commanding officer and a high school football coach. Lieutenant Colonel Patrick Johnson serves as the med deck commander on Camp Murray while also coaching full-time at Stadium High School at Tacoma, Washington. Our conversation explores his coaching journey and gleans the value of relationships both on the gridiron and in uniform. Let's get after it. We have a professional obligation for the ethical application of, uh, of force. You can have a growth mindset where you're always achieving for better. This is about us, about our guard, our reputation. We are all in this together. Outthink, outmaneuver, and outfight the enemy. If you wage war, do it energetically and with severity. This is the only way to make it shorter and consequently less inhumane. Thanks for joining us again for another episode of the Raven Report podcast. I'm Chaplain Sanders, and I'm on with Colonel Patrick Johnson uh, from uh, MedCom, who also is a coach at uh, Stadium High School in Tacoma. How are you doing today, sir? Doing well. Thanks for having me. All right. Yeah, so, like, I'm super pumped to to have you because we were having a hard time kind of getting coaches on, and then somebody suggested, like, hey, look, we have a coach, like, in our formation. I was like, that's perfect because the – the so what behind of all all this is to try to like go to coaches and say, hey, like what you know, what have you learned on the field that we can then take and incorporate into our formation to help grow and develop our leaders? Because like I think it's like a Bill Walsh said that uh, that good leaders uh, are, are coaches, and so therefore, like if you want to be a good leader, you need to be a good coach. Um, so yeah, so has that been your experience? Yeah, I think it's uh, it's translated nicely. I joined the guard as a twenty year old uh, cadet of you know, S&P cadet, and then started coaching as a 19-year-old. So those two careers have gone side by side uh, after my playing days were over. And so it's, it's, it's been nice to balance both things together and and take, take lessons learned from both to make the other organization better. Yeah. So, um, so you started coaching at 19. What, like, what was, what was that like? I mean, you're stepping off the field and then like putting a whistle on, right? Yeah. I, uh, I went to James Madison University in Virginia. From here, I played at Lakes High School up in Taco- uh, Lakewood and uh, went to James Madison, took an ROTC scholarship and walked on the football team for a year. And after one year of playing, I uh, kind of realized that your retirement was the way to go. Uh, wasn't <laughs> as good as the other guys. Body was hurting and trying to balance uh, ROTC, grades, social life. And the army was paying the bill, and uh, I it felt like football was just kind of thing I had to give up on the playing side. But I walked to the local high school. I always knew I wanted to be a football coach and uh, teacher, so I walked to the local high school in Harrisonburg, Virginia, and asked if I could help and started coaching the freshman team. Um, and my second year of college, so I was a college student coaching high school and just kept it going. I haven't stopped. I haven't took a year off since. That's pretty cool. That's like a, a reoccurring theme I've noticed with a lot of these uh, these coaches that they they're like all like they started playing and they're like oh well, I want to be a coach like that was like always the goal is that you know, like I will do whatever I have to do but like eventually I'm gonna land it you know uh, being a coach and so it's kind of cool to see that you seem to have the same kind of background. Yeah, I think that a lot of us uh, a lot of us kind of feel like we owe it to the game uh, and and to the kids because of what what the game taught us. And so as you finish your playing days, you you want others to feel that same experience and, and pass your pass your knowledge, not of the game only, but just a life knowledge of lessons learned from this game on, onto others. And I, and I think that translates really nice to the army. Um, you know, from your young days, as you get older, trying to push 
push information and experiences and and help people understand that this is just a vehicle to get where you want to be. Uh, and, you know, so I, I think I bet the coaches you talked to, I would bet all of them were pretty good players, uh, were probably captains or some in some form of leadership on their team and felt like they needed to keep keep that going. And it's it's hard to replace, you know, Brett Favre will talk about, you know, can't retire because it's hard to replace 60,000 people screaming your name. That's definitely not the same as that. But on the same token, like when you're part of this game and in the locker room and the camaraderie, uh, it's hard to walk away from. Uh, so right. you, you go into coaching to get that back. Right, right. Now that, that makes a that makes a lot of sense. So, like you talk about, like uh, as you're growing up and as you're playing, like it's teaching you a lot of life lessons. Like, what were some like of the key takeaways that you had from your days as a player that then you later on like brought into being a coach? Yeah, I think. Uh, of course, I'm biased, but this game, you, you play one game a week uh, in football, unlike basketball, baseball, and other sports. And if that one game doesn't go well, then that whole week kind of was just rough. Practice was rough. Weight room was rough. And then the game was rough. And then you got to reset and go again. So I think one thing that I really try to push to my players and soldiers is how to deal with adversity. You know, we talk about resilience a lot in the Army. It's the same for kids, even more like you look, you failed at this play. What's next? And then the other thing is this game is 11 guys on the field at the same time. And unlike any sport, if one guy screws up, it it affects the, the play of another guy or even the health of another guy. You truly have to do your job and be one of 11. Uh, And so that type of, attitude that you try to push as a parent as a as an army officer or whatever it's 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 um i mean it's tough to find avenues to teach that to kids especially right. young men yeah no that 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 makes a lot of sense in that that having that sort of like real world like i mean you could you, you could physically get hurt play like you know playing football and stuff like that. so it's like look dude like if you drop drop your guard if you don't do your job like this guy's gonna pay for it and you're gonna have to watch him limp is like something you want to live with that that makes a lot of sense and i can see how it translates really well to the military yeah yeah so like uh you talk about like a failure and that's that's something that's kind of another thing that's that's been a theme with, with talking to, to coaches is that like uh, everybody loses games um, and, and that definitely adds to the, uh, the adversity. Like what, uh, what would you say like your biggest failure as a player or a coach was, and like, what did you learn from it and how did you overcome it? You know, I, I don't know if I could pinpoint a biggest failure. I think anytime, um, as I've gotten older, right? Like, uh, you start coaching and it's kind of like when you're a, a platoon leader, you, you want to win and all you're concerned about is winning. And uh, you, you look at your record and I used to put my record on my resume. And as you get older, you start and you start having players contact you 10 years after they've graduated and, and you see their successes. You start realizing this is not uh, with the winning and losing. Nobody cares really at the end of the day. Maybe your administrator, maybe if you're in Texas coaching at a huge school, maybe. But really, at the end of the day, uh, my biggest failures is when I see a kid. And unfortunately, I've had this. I coached in Georgia. I coached in Virginia. I've coached in Texas. I've coached here twice. Um, I see a kid struggling in life, Um, a kid that, you know, is in jail. Or uh, I've had a few players that have passed away uh, from unfortunate circumstances and teammates. And so as a coach, you kind of sit back and you, you think, like, what did I not teach? What did I not? Was I not there 
And, and we do that. We do that um, in the army. If I see a soldier that leaves my unit and then later struggles, uh, I think like, uh, what did I not train them to do? What did I not give them support to do? And so I, I think when you talk about failure, for me as a coach, now failure is 10 years down the road, where is this kid? Did I really give him the life skills, lessons to be successful as a, as a young person and as an adult, as a father, as a husband? Um, and if I didn't, then that, that's kind of the ones I look at. Uh, you know, I've lost big games. Uh, but looking back, I, can't, I couldn't even tell you the score. Right, right. Yeah, no, that, that resonates me with, uh, with me as a chaplain because, like, you'll have soldiers that, like, that come to your office and, like, you do everything that you, you can for them and then they go off and they do something that's unfortunate. And uh, then you always – you can't help I – mean, I don't think you could be a good chaplain. I don't think you could be human to not sit back and be like, what did I say wrong? What did I not do right or whatever? And I think I've kind of got to a point in my life where it's like I will give 100% to whoever shows up at the door – but at the end of the day, it's their decision. It's it's them, and so you kind of have to like just you know just kind of just you know ruck up and, and move on to the next one. And try to learn from it. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. So um so like let's get back like kind of in, into your background a little bit. Like so like you uh, you came up here and you started coaching here. Now you said you've coached other places. Like what's what's the yep. uh, the story and journey of Coach Johnson that ends up back in uh, Washington Medcom? Yeah, well, I wanted to – Dick Zakovich was my coach at Lakes, and uh, he was my mentor. And once I realized I wasn't going to the NFL about the 11th grade, uh, that's who I wanted to be. And I'll be honest with you, I wanted to be the coach that stayed at the same school for 30 years. And when you walk into the local bar or restaurant, they say, hey, coach, and they know what you're ordering. And that was kind of what I pictured. Um then um, when I was in Virginia, I decided to marry a uh, active duty nurse. Uh, she was in ROTC with me. She went active duty. She claimed she was going to do four years and be done. Uh, so I still thought my dream was intact. Uh, she's now at year 17. Uh, so, yeah, so we we started her. Uh, my first coaching gig was in Harrisonburg while I was in college uh, as a young man coaching freshman team, got a state championship ring out of it as an assistant to varsity, then went, uh, came home uh, back to Lakes and coached for a year under Coach Miller at Lakes, two years. Uh, and then she got stationed in Augusta, Georgia. So we went down to Augusta. I coached four years in Augusta. And then from there, uh, that was the four-year mark in her career. So we were going to retire, but the Army offered to send us back here. So we came back. I coached another year for Coach Miller at Lakes and then got a, my first head coaching job at Foss High School in Tacoma. Coached there for three. And then the Army got us again and said they'd send my wife to grad school in Virginia, uh, where she's from. So we went back to Virginia. I coached three years in Virginia while she did grad school. And then from Virginia, they sent us to the Mecca of Army Medicine at Fort Sam Houston in Texas. And we went there and I was able to coach college football at Trinity University, a D3, very similar to PLU but better. Uh, so I was, yeah. coaching, I was coaching D line there, uh, for four years and then, um, our four years got up and they moved us back here. Uh, and so when I got back here, started applying for jobs, a stadium job came open and it's been an awesome opportunity. I, I teach full time there, uh, and then able to not fly uh, from Texas to drill. I get to drive from North Fort to drill now. So yeah, which is yeah. So I, I uh, fly from Texas to drill, and so like, I I understand the value in that. <laughs> no, yes, yeah. uh, the ten minute drive is awesome. Yeah. 
So um, you've worked in a lot of different schools and a lot of different programs. So I would imagine that you've probably seen some really good programs and some really not so good programs. What really makes the difference uh, between those two? Like what, what's the thing that you could tweak to actually make a bad program better? Yeah, uh, this, I, 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 I'm very proud of uh, med, med debt where I'm at now. And, and I say that because I think that the biggest thing you can do in any organization is relationships. So every football program that I've been to a lot of programs, that I'm not going to say I'm responsible for turning them around, but the focus on relationships that I bring uh, and, and, and knowing what makes the kids tick, knowing what their family situation is, knowing that there, um, that there are going to be, uh, for instance, yesterday I had a kid that couldn't come to practice because he was helping his mom do um, DoorDash because they needed to pay the rent, right? And at the same time, I got a kid missing practice because he's got an orthodontist appointment, right? Those two kids are significantly different kids as far as life circumstances, adversity, um, and, and, you know, so I need to know that. I need to know that so that when I'm talking to a kid, when I'm understanding what's going on, when I understand that football, uh, I've got a foster kid right now who who's probably the worst football player I've ever coached, but he needs us. Right. He needs to be there and he never misses. Will he right. ever be a good football player? No, but I know what he needs. And that culture of, of relationships is, uh, it, it turns it around quick and they start playing for each other. They start playing for their coaches. And, and no different than I'm sure you've seen in the army, like when a soldier comes to their unit and truly believes that their commander, their first sergeant, their, their first line leaders care, know their dog's name, know that they have kids, know that they lost their job. Uh, it changes their attitude and their performance. And I, I, that's what we're trying to do at stadium now. And it's what we try to do everywhere is build relationships, find out what makes people tick and then, and then push them forward. Right. No, that's um, that's definitely something that, that's come up before in the past. The, the relationships really are the the lever to pull to, for all around improvement because all of a sudden people, like, I think once they, they realize that somebody's in it for them, they start being in it for everybody else. Um, there's a there's a sociologist. We had a major Jess Dawson from the uh, Army Cyber Institute on here. She's a, bit, she's a sociologist. And uh, she brought up a, a point that um, there is a, a sociologist who, who wrote that, like, uh, you have to turn the the I into we. And then once you hit that that we, then things start to change significantly. And you can really kind of, uh, you know, kind of shape things uh, whenever whenever that, that transformation, you know, happens. Right. Yeah. Well, we went to see, uh, when I was in Virginia, we went up to the Naval Academy to a clinic and coach Niamatololo, who's, you know, he's coaching future Navy officers, but his big um, talking point was culture over scheme. Yeah. Uh, once you build the culture, the X's and O's, will, whatever. But if you, if you start with just X's and O's and think you're just the genius next Bill Walsh without building the culture and relationships, uh, and, and that resonated with me. And I was still fairly young in my coaching. I, I mean, I was about halfway point and, and just I, I use that over and over, even when I, I got my vice principal cert and I was a dean of students and I was talking to teachers. It's the same in their classroom. You know, if you don't have a good classroom culture, your your knowledge of your subject isn't going to matter uh, as much. 
and then it translates really well into the army, whether I'm talking to NCOs or young officers, like what's your, what's your culture in your section? Uh, and then we can talk about the schematics and the details, but until you have the culture, uh, you're not going to get as far as you want. Yeah. We had, um, uh, Stan McChrystal on, on the podcast and, uh, uh, Colonel Burles is, is at, uh, you know, Fort Leavenworth and he had just yep. done like all of those rotations through all these different, um, COCOMs. And he, he basically kind of brought that point up. He, he said that the one thing that I've taken away from all of these people and like, you gotta keep in mind, like, like he had like transcom he went to the stratcom I mean, wildly different organizations but he was saying that, like he asked for crystal he was like you know like the one thing that I, I've, I've learned is that like culture eats strategy for lunch like it's just like culture is everything and then strategy just kind of is like a thing that happens afterwards and McChrystal doubled down with that he was, he was like yeah he was like that's that's how they built JSOC into what it was it was that like it became a culture of, of competence and and team and teamsmanship and and really you know, uh, kind of like built that or baked it into like their decentralized operation through the, uh, through a single meeting that they had every single day. So that really resonates. And it's, it's cool to see that it extends beyond the boundaries of the military, that it's really just kind of like a, a truth of people, it seems like, that you, you know, yeah. Um, so like, how do you go about, and like you're, you're, you know, Lieutenant Colonel in the Army, coached at all these different places. How do you go about building that culture where people go from being like maybe self-centered or, or, or uh, technique or strategy focused into being people for, for like us focused? How do you build that we? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I recently read the book and I'm, the second time through, it starts with why. Um, mm -hmm. And, and talking to my coaching staff first about our uh, a vision, mission, uh, just like you're here in the army, but this is where we want to go. Right. And, and why do we want to get there? And, and my why, as I've gotten older is, Hey, why, what are we going to do to teach these kids the, the skills to be better humans? And so that's our why. So as we scale that back to how are we going to do that? What are we going to do? Everything should be focused on that. So then when I talk to the parents and have a parent meeting, it should be, no pun intended, very apparent to them that I'm not about winning games for your kids. That will be a byproduct of these attributes. And so I took over broken programs. Uh, the FOSS was a broken program and stadiums won one game and took it over. And we only won two games last year. But instead of 40 players this spring, we have 80. Um, that's that that is culture. And. That happened through kids talking to other kids about, man, coach, the coaches care about us. Um, balancing being tough on them and also, right, understanding that they're not quite where they need to be. So uh, I, it, it, starts, it starts with having a vision, a purpose, and getting everybody on that page from the staff, parents, coaching staff, and it trickles down to kids. And then you start seeing it um, in the building. You start seeing it throughout the community. Like, um, it, it's cool to see. And I, everywhere I've gone, I try to, try to first, you know, shake hands with every kid as they leave the weight room. And, and you know, ask them about things other than football. I think if you surveyed my soldiers here at MedDead, I, I try to call every one of them. And I only have 82 of them every one of them during the month, a phone call. And it usually surprises a lot of them that the colonel's calling and, you know, it's just, how are you doing? How's life? And it's usually a short conversation, but 
it, it they come here and know that even if they don't think I ever actually care, I put in the effort. Right, you're uh, trying. Yeah, and so I, I think that that's important. Be present, be accountable. Um, we, we started stadium last year with the word of the year was culture, build the culture, and this year's accountability. So now we're starting to hold people accountable for not, not doing what the culture uh, is, what you're supposed to do in the culture. So uh, long answer. No, no, and that's great. I mean, like, and it's quantifiable. If you started with 40 and you had a losing team and then you make sure you have 80, there's something in the water there because, yeah. like, it, it's, you, people generally don't want to join losing teams. You know? That's the problem, right? That's, that's my daughter's a girls basketball player at stadium, and she's a freshman, and that is the issue. You'll get a whole bunch of freshmen that want to play, and then you have a horrible season, and then they don't come back, so then you start again with new freshmen. Um it's had 10 seniors last year. Now we have 15, like, and the guys are sticking around. Uh, and it's not because we're feeding them pizza after practice. Right. It's, it's that they honestly know that, that we are trying to make them better people. And these are the life skills that you're learning through this and we're getting better showing progress. Uh, so that that's hard to do. And we'll lose some, we'll lose some and it'll get to the point where right depth Depth matters. The Washington Guard, I'd say for my dad was 35 years in this organization, so I feel like I've been in it my whole life. Um, when you have depth, you're able to say to soldiers who aren't performing or in your culture, a hey, good luck somewhere else. And then it shows the other soldiers in the formation, like, man, if they're not doing the standard, then they don't not hear this is and why do the Marines not have a recruiting problem? Because they say do pull-ups. Pull-ups, you're not one of us. The few, the proud, right? And, and when you don't have depth and you're begging soldiers to stay and begging soldiers to come in, then you have to keep the soldiers that maybe don't deserve to be in your organization or your formation. So it's no different than my football team. When I had 40 last year, I needed them all to stay. Yeah. I needed them. I needed them. It's not that I wanted them. I needed them. And this year now, I had a guy that got caught vaping in the bathroom uh, while we were at our team dinner. And uh, he, I've moved him on to something else. Right. And the standard now can be enforced because we have depth. Uh, and so got to start with that. And once you build that depth, then you're able to tighten up the standard a little bit. Right. Yeah. That's kind of a, so it's an interesting progression that you start with like a culture of like, this is who we are and what we're about. That brings people in. And then once you have that raw, raw material, you can start refining it to kind of get the, the type of person that you want to, to really build a winning team. Right. So that's why this word's accountability for this year, right? If you're not accountable. I had a kid just send me a, a, our app is huddle. He sent me a message. Hey coach, my wrist hurts. My ankle hurts. I'm not coming to practice today. And uh, the response back to him was there's a trainer at practice. You can still be at practice to listen and learn and this and that, and his response back was, okay, coach. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. Last year, I would have said, okay, bud, thanks for communicating. Right. Right. Because right? I, I could I, – I needed him to come back. Right. And that says, you know what, forget you, coach. You don't care about, you know, my wrist and my ankle. I'm not playing. Okay. Well, yeah. you know, the standard is that you show up, support your teammates, go see the athletic trainer, not try to have mom fix it at home. All right. right. It, Soldier who says at drill, hey, I got child care issues. Right. I had soldiers knocking down the door. I'd say, hey, well, you knew about drill for six months. You know, I'm sorry about your child care issues. You're AWOL. Yeah, right. But in 
instead I go, all right, I'm going to sue to you and you can make up these days because I need that soldier. Right. No, that makes sense. Um, I got a a text uh, from uh, another, uh, well, he's a former now, uh, uh, talking about like he had discovered something about the Marine Corps that you kind of touched on is that the Marines focus on who they are. And that's what drives them. Whereas the army focuses on what we do and that's what drives us. And the, you know, there, there's a lot of like kind of, you know, good and bad on both sides of it and kind of like those, those third order unintentional effects. But one of the effects is the Marines don't have a recruiting crisis because you're right. It's a, I've heard that a thousand times that people go with the, they originally joined, wanted to join the Marines. The first thing that recruiter says is like do X amount of, amount of pull-ups and like the guys who I've talked to that joined the Marine Corps were just like, all right. And it didn't matter how many pull-ups they, they did or whatever. It's the fact that they did it. It was like the first screen into the Marine Corps and the guys that ended up in the other branches of the service, they're just like, that's like, that just was so off-putting that they went somewhere else. And then they're just like, Oh, you're not a Marine then. Like it's just, yes. simple, you know, yeah. uh, there will be booths side by side with the army's officer and bonuses to join. And the Marines saying, if you can't do a pull-up, you can't join. Yeah, like and they're side by side and you'll get a certain type of individual that wants to be challenged and wants to be it wants his ego to be satisfied um, by doing that pull up. Um, And and look, I'm not. I would no no by no means saying the army's doing it wrong. There's different (laughs) different uh, needs and numbers. And look strategies you have to use when you have an organization this large yeah versus marines it's a smaller organization that can yep. be very specific um so i mean i'm going we're scrimmaging cascade christian this weekend just in some joint practices and in their small christian school but they are very specific uh, they're private so a kid who wants to play football at cascade christian if his parents have the means or they want a scholarship them they go there so they have 20 really good football players but they only have 30 on their roster, but 20 can play. Um, I have 80 and 20 can play. (laughs) (laughs) So I have 60 that we're working on and it's kind of, it's, you know, over time, maybe in a four quarter game, I would be successful because of uh, the depth and the fatigue, but early on in the scrimmage, it is there, there, those top, 11 are better than my top 11 because they're very specific in who they get. Yeah. That, that's kind of an interesting um, aspect to, to, to the depth issue. Cause like, um, I think it was a uh, UNC and, and I, I want to, I can't remember the, the coach's name, but was like really famous for like always running the ball. And his, his, his uh, trick was like having a bunch of players that were really like um, aerobically conditioned. They weren't necessarily really good. They only like really kind of like could do a layup. But they, the fact that the matter was that he could just constantly sub players yep. in and just keep the pace going to the point where no one else could kind of keep up. So I kind of speak to the point of depth there. So. Yeah. Yeah. So um, like once you've kind of like built that culture and then once you, you've, uh, you've you started to refine it, what's the next step? Like, like you have a, high, a culture of high accountability, they're, they're top tier players. Then what do you do? Yeah, I think I think every um, every year you have a focus point, and so this year's accountability, and we'll, we'll meet as a staff to figure out like what was our deficiency, where do we need to go next, and let's let's tag a word to it. Um, maybe maybe it's something as simple as conditioning or strength, 
right? Because now you have the guys that you built the culture with, you held them accountable for showing up. And now let's pinpoint an area of need that we need to get better at. Um, and, and when you can start to point to specific things, then all of a sudden your, your training is very geared towards that. So if you uh, here at MedDebt, I look at our stats and our ACFT stats were low and our rifle range stats were low. Well, those are two things we don't do. But once the culture is built, okay, once people are showing up and accountable, now let's start to attack these specific things and get better at these metrics because we now have to not worry so much about who's going to show up. Uh, we don't have to worry about, you know, are they going to be happy when they get here? Uh, yeah, they're, they're happy to be here. They show up ready to go. Now let's focus on these things. Uh, and, and that's probably where we'll go. I, I also think just tightening up that accountability, like, you know, like this kid that said he's his ankle and knee and what or whatever, he might not show up today, even though I told him, Hey man, you still need to be there. Uh, I'll keep him on the team. I'm not going to, it's, it's summer practice. This is technically optional uh, until August 16th when the real season starts. So I'll keep him around, but maybe next year it's like, Hey man, you're, you're not, you're not, um, you're not meeting the standard of what we do. And Cascade Christian, for instance, the one other kid was doing 2000 yards of bear crawls before practice. And I said, what are you doing, man? He goes, I missed two weight room sessions and every one you miss, you got to do a thousand yards of bear crawls. Uh-huh. I could never get away with that at this point at stadium. Right. <laughs> right. Uh, they would, they would walk. Right. Or, or their parents would be calling me. So that, uh, and I also think like, just could, I don't think you could stop building culture, right? Can't take a break on it. And so just moving into the next year and, and, and being specific in what you're trying to do and, you know, and maybe it'll translate to wins. And, you know, right. it, I also got to reevaluate coaching staff and leaders. We really struggle with um, student leadership, uh, peer leadership. Uh, that's something I, I need to uh, get better and I think it's partly my fault. You got to look in the mirror, right? I'm a very type A. Uh, and, and what it's causing is it's causing the coaches to kind of go, oh, don't worry, coach will handle it. Don't worry. And the players to go, when we're playing bad, coach is going to say something. And and sometimes, and I've tried to do a better job this spring, is I need to step back and let my coaches coach and then let my players hold each other accountable. Because right now, if I'm the only one holding people accountable, no different than if you're in a unit and the commander's always the one holding people accountable. Well, now when the first sergeant tries to do it, people are like, ah, well, why? Yeah. We'll just wait. Commander does this. Um, or on the same tech, they, you know, the first sergeant might back off and say, I don't have to do my job because the commander's going to come in and do it. Right. And and that's kind of where I'm I'm failing uh, um, is, as a leader is I'm very into it, you know? Um, so. Yeah. No, that, that like uh that resonates with me because i'm very much the same way if somebody's like hey can we go to the moon i'm like all right well this is what we need to do to build a saturn five rocket there's, there's no like no we can't do it it's just like let's just do it like you know and and i'll put it all on my own shoulders and it's only the past like year or so that i started to realize that about myself how did you come to that same conclusion that, that like you know, like what's that like self-reflection process to make yourself a, a, a better leader look like uh there's two 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 individuals in particular. Well, my wife always tells me, but that, that's different. Yeah. But uh, first Sergeant Zaragoza here at MedDebt, you know, he he does a good job of reminding me like, hey, sir, you need to, that's not you. That's not for you to do, right? And as you get higher in leadership, that's hard to hear. You know, 
Um, and so he, he, he does a really good job of, of making me go into your officer. Like you don't need to see how the sausage is made here. Okay. Like I got this. And then on the coaching side, I have this uh, old man that's coached me for years, coach Mac, and he's been to many different programs. He's followed me. Uh, whenever I come back, he, he jumps on and we call him the senior advisor. Um, and he'll say he'll say you know they're not leading because they're waiting for you to do it right and it hit me one day is like um i came in and i started yelling at the coaches for not not uh being involved in this drill and he looked at me and he goes you've never taught us that drill like <laughs> you you didn't show us what the drill was and now you're mad at us for not helping with the drill but we didn't even know you just did it you did it you did it on your own and we tried to support, but we don't know what we don't know. And you, you always just step out there. And so I'll, I'll, I'm not the DB coach, but I'll see a DB make a mistake, a defensive back, and I'll correct the DB. And I have to stop and go, it's not. I have a DB coach who was walking towards the kid, and I jumped in front of him to coach the kid. Yeah. And so put guys around you that you trust, but will also be honest with you. Right. So, and those coaches have, and I tell them, you got, you guys got to be honest with me. My my little brother is my offensive coordinator. He coaches with me. Um, and little brothers have no problem telling you when you're wrong. So yep. I just need guys around me who will hold me accountable. And I told the players, coaches get held accountable too. And so, including me. So if I'm jumping on another coach's toes or if I'm not, not, you know, being communicating well, I need guys around me. And I think that that, that's kind of where the reflection happened of just having some guys tell me the honest opinion, doing the, you know, I took the army evaluation system and did it with my coaches. Like we did an OER and NCOER type. And at the end of the season, I just asked them, tell me, you know, yeah. tell me what, what's good, what's bad. Here's how I think you did. And, and they were very honest with me. So I think, I think that's the key is stacking people around you that you trust and that'll be honest with you. Yeah, no, I, I that I, I've seen, both sides, like both extremes, people that, that were very, very intentional in developing those types of relationships that would get that kind of feedback, and then they would listen. There's certain individuals in mind that's kind of funny even to think about, but like they would, they would be very resistant. They'd be like, no, 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 I don't do that. But then later on, especially as a chaplain, I get to have the more honest conversations. And they're just yes. like, yeah, I screwed that up. <laughs> but they don't want to admit it to everybody. But yeah, then, yeah, at the same time, you get other people who don't do not do that. And like, man, that is that can be super destructive for an organization. Yeah, I mean, there's also been times where a coach tells me that I'm doing his job and I'll tell him, well, if you would start doing your job, then I wouldn't have to do it. Right. And right. And like, you, you know, why I'm doing your job is because you weren't. Right. Right. And and those those are tough ones, too. But yeah. so like uh, you talk about like, it's you know, for certain Zaragoza, um, like you're a lieutenant colonel you're like you're his his boss and there, there's a certain amount of, of of power and probably like intimidation just the position itself holds how do you cultivate relationships where they have they have that ability to speak to you directly about things that that they see that you're screwing up and know that they're not going to get like completely like you know destroyed uh for it like how, how do you go about doing that while still preserving your your status as the the commander right uh i think Number one, if you uh, if you taught these little girls, they would say, you know, I'm I'm Uncle Uncle Pat or Colonel Johnson, and his wife gives me a hug when she sees me. So we have a personal relationship right. because we take time to cultivate that. And when you have that relationship, 
then you feel like you can be honest that the other person actually cares about you. Right. It's not a business relationship and it's not personal as far as when I, I'm not, I'm not personally attacking you. I care about you as a person. This is business and separating that. But I will say if we, we can't trust the army for everything, but the army has put a structure in place that has worked for hundreds of years. Right. There's an NCO core, there's an officer core, and it's very detailed in what you're doing. And I think sometimes we go away from that and, and we go away from what works and the structure that's in place. The NCO core has a certain job and, and officers in our, in our leadership and responsibility role have a certain role. And when those roles get crossed, you have to go back to the book answer of, all right, that first sergeant is responsible for the, the training and execution of my plan. I'm not responsible for the execution of my plan. I evaluate and supervise and go back to the troop leading procedures like we learned when we were captains and lieutenants. And so no different than coaching. I, I have to understand chain of command, roles and responsibilities, spell them out really uh, specific and trust that process works and then build a relationship that we know that if we're crossing that process, we can have honest conversations. Right. And It's personality driven too, right? You, there are great NCOs, there are great officers, and there are ones that don't want to listen in there. And sometimes you're not going to get through to those guys. And right. I'm lucky to have good ones, but it started with a counseling and, hey, here's who I am, here's who you are. And let's let's talk about your family. Let's talk about who we are, what makes you tick. Let's find some commonalities. Let's find some differences. And uh, we're never going to, in front of the soldiers, we're not going to disagree but we can shut this door and we can go at it if we need to. Right. Um, that's just, that's, I, I, you know, I think that the relationship piece, it can't be overstated. And it, it's, it's a failure of, I really struggle in the guard cause I'm an M day guy. Right. And you have AGRs that work full time. And, and those are hard relationships to build sometimes. Yeah. AGRs have a lot of responsibilities. They want it done this way and then your m-day commander comes in and he says no this is the way we're doing it but they didn't do any of the work during the month yeah uh, it's a hard it's a hard deal so you got to talk you got to you got to <laughs> communicate you got to be honest with each other yeah it's got to go, go beyond like drill weekend like you know yeah. you, you can't build a relationship one weekend a month you know like I'll say that just from a chaplaincy standpoint uh, one of the things that I think that I did right early on as a chaplain was uh, creating a, a, a kind of a chaplain specific Facebook and trying to friend all my soldiers and then, you know, religiously try to like talk to them constantly. So that way they knew that, that who I was and, and uh, where I was around. So it wasn't just like, who's your chaplain? They're like, I don't know. That, that, that to me was like the, the mortal chaplain sin is that if they don't know who you are, then you screwed up. Um, but that, that relationship really pays off every single time there, there's an issue because they know who you are. And I've yeah. Yeah, I could I could totally see that being the same case for uh, being a, a commander or really, you know, like anybody in any sort of leadership position in the in the guard for sure. sure. Yeah. yeah, I I I I remember my uh, specific chaplain that if I would have asked my soldiers when I was an XO, like who's our chaplain, they wouldn't know. Right. And the battlefield circulation, the shaking hands, the asking people how they're doing, and and not just in crisis is right. a big deal. So instead of just business for me and my first sergeant. You know, it, it's got to be a phone call of, hey, how's the fam? Um, what what are the girls got this weekend for soccer? Like, it, it's important. Um, and then when you have to have those hard conversations, you're, well, you're ready to have them. 
Right, right. Because I know you care as a relationship. Yep. Yeah. So you you brought up uh, like some of your mentors uh, earlier on. I'm kind of curious, like who do you who do you, do you feel is like your biggest mentors uh, were uh, as a coach or as an officer or both? Yeah. So uh, we're not all fortunate to have people in our lives. You know, I've seen my kids and that I coach. Like uh, I I had my dad's the dude. Um, he was, uh, a M day officer. And then he became AGR. He was the recruiting commander for the Washington guard. He was the G one, uh, made it the full bird. Uh, he also coached me growing up. Uh, and he's just a, he's just a good man, right? Like, um, he can, uh, stand in front of a room and, and, and give a speech. He, he's charismatic. Uh, he cares about relationships. And when I, meet people still to this day that served with them and um they'll say your dad's your, your dad's a great man and that means you know that i'm trying to emulate that right i want my kids to walk around and, and that to be the answer and one thing he taught me is is and i and i don't know if he directly told me but i could see it is you got to care more about the people you're leading than the people that are leading you right so right. I got to worry more about what my soldiers think about me, not what my bosses think about me. Right. And, and there was times where I know that his bosses probably weren't happy with him, but everybody that worked for him was happy to come to work and, and knew that he cared. And that, that goes through coaching that goes through the guard that goes through everything. Like I can't worry about what my principal thinks about, how the program's going. Yeah, ultimately, sure, she could pull me in and say this, but at the end of the day, the most important thing is those guys wearing the cleats, what do they think about coach? Like, what do they think about what they're learning and doing this? And usually it takes care of itself, right? And and the soldiers here at MedDet, like, yeah, okay, um, some metric isn't right. I'm getting in trouble for it at a Wednesday night meeting, but call my soldiers and ask and watch my retention rates and, and this, they if that's the focus, and that's what that's what I got from my dad. Um, from the coaching perspective, Coach Zakovich, my high school coach, look, uh, that was that was like uh, watching him be the weight training teacher and football coach, and just thinking, man, that's a good life. <laughs> like that that that's that's what I want to do. I want to wear shorts every day to school, but uh, that that kind of waned off. And as I've gotten older, I look back at some of the things Coach Zakovich taught, and the the accountability and the toughness that he taught us, and. So that's been big. But then throughout the whole time, I've had great Army officers, uh, NCOs that have been mentors to me, um, just and then, and then other coaches, whether they're assistants or not. And then to be honest, I've, I've had players that I look up to. Um, that one in particular, we moved up to Washington because he was struggling in life with gangs and stuff. And he always says thanks to me for doing that for him. But I look at him and like, you're the one who, got on that plane man yeah. you were brave you were brave enough to say my situation is bad enough i'm moving from georgia to washington and never been on a plane in my life on a one-way ticket and wild. that that to me like dude i look up to you for that like how many of us in that adverse situation would have actually reached out for help yeah right yeah what so like what makes that guy fundamentally because i mean like he's like one out of a thousand e easily you know like you know what made him different like what what about his like kind of internal 
gearing or clockwork made him be the one to say like i need help and like i know somebody i can go get help with and was able to actually like reach out and do it yeah i i coached him for four years and then four years later uh we hadn't talked in four years and i get a random call, call i'm living up here and i get a call from a georgia number and it's him in tears and i don't know uh i i mean i i guess i kind of know but i I think he was just in a spot where he probably went through his phone and was like, who is that guy? Who, who is somebody in this phone that I can, that I can reach out to and ask for help. And, right. and it was me. And uh, it was just, Hey coach, I don't know what to do. And that was, it was as simple as I just don't know what to do. And I don't know what I did in those four years uh, that he was playing um, to make him believe that uh, I was that guy in the phone. Um, and then, you know, it was, it was simply me saying, uh, you just, sometimes you just have to remove yourself from the whole situation and start life over. Yeah. And here's how you can do that. And, you know, I gave him some very strict guidelines of here's how much help I'm going to provide, but it's on you. And right. he took it. Right. How's he doing now? He's still here. Uh, he's got a job. He's got a daughter. Uh, he's hit some bumps in the road, uh, but he's t 28. Uh, he's out of trouble. Got, got a job, got an apartment, got a car, and raising his kid, doing a good job. Uh, like I said, there's, there's you, he, you can't give, you know, all the life skills that I was lucky to have. Yeah. My dad and the privilege that I was in raised raised in, with two parents at the house and a colonel dad, right? And uh, so you know, some people say you can't, you know, you can't relate to what they're dealing with. And I don't try to relate. What I try to do is show them a picture of what what they could emulate. Like you can get this too, and I know the way because I have it. <laughs> so <laughs> follow these steps. Um, and he's, he's done a good job. Uh, we, we talk still often. Uh, he brings the, his daughter over and it's, it's been, it's been a cool relationship to have. It is pretty cool. Especially like the, the part, like, uh, you're modeling, uh, something that somebody would want to have and kind of like, you can't, I don't think in any type of leadership, coaching, all army, whatever, um, you can't understate the, uh, the power of a, like a personal example. Like, you know, like, I'm not, I'm going to ask you to do this thing, but I am doing this thing and being vulnerable about like, look, I screwed this up or I'm, I'm short here or whatever else, but I'm still pushing towards this goal. Um, and it seems to be kind of like one of the things that he seemed to, to at least pick up on and, and wanted to have a kind of a part of. Yeah. Uh, I, one of the big conversations we've had and I've had with other players is when somebody tells me and soldiers, to be honest with you, when somebody says life is hard, my life is hard. And we map it out to like, okay, sitting on the couch without a job is not hard. Let's, let's not mistake hard with it sucks. And, and that was a hard, and he looked at me and was like, I never thought of it that way. Hard is waking up at 5.30, making the coffee, getting your kids up, getting them dressed for school, driving to work, working 10 hours, coaching three more hours, and then coming home having to, you know, figure out the meal plan with the night. Your wife's working 12-hour shifts. You got kids, got sports. You got to drive to those sports. You get home. 
9 30 10 o'clock you're trying to lay your head down and you're starting over and you're doing that monday through friday every day you're paying bills that's hard yeah now i'm lucky because i've got some financial means and and because of hard but hard and and it was hard hard to tell them but standing on the street corner with a cup asking for money that sucks and that's unfortunate but it's not hard <laughs> right Okay, you can do that. You can stand there and do nothing. Um, hard is having to grind and get up and go. So I know what hard is. And I, and I work hard every day. So emulate that. It's not, it's not feeling sorry for yourself. And, and those are, when you're talking to a kid who looks at you like, man, you've had it easy. It's twisting that to, I haven't had it easy. Okay, I was set up in a good start with good mentors but I still have to work hard every day. And then my one week in the month, I have to work. Right. And then it's Wednesday nights at 6 PM, I got to get to a meeting because I'm working. And I think that resonated with them that like, stop looking at yourself and feeling sorry for yourself that it's hard. Um, this is what hard is. And, 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 and that's, that's helped. Uh, that's helped send the message to him and others. Uh, it, you know, your young E4 is like, oh, it's so hard to come to drill. No, look, you're doing blood pressures all drill. That's not hard. That sucks. You don't like that. So let's talk about that. Well, let's not use the word hard. Um, no, I, so. I like that, that, that like a uh, bifurcation of hard and suck. Like, I, I think that that makes a lot of sense uh, that, you know, there's definitely a difference between like, you know, this unfortunate, like, you know, circumstance, but it seems to me that a lot of those unfortunate circumstances are like, just like hard as you're, you're making that choice. I mean, you were set up for success. Sure. And then like you, you made the choice to continue that success. Right. It's no different than suck. It's like, you, yeah, like you could be the guy on the side of the street corner with a cup, but at the end of the day, that guy is choosing to stay there. There's no, not nothing saying that he could, could change his circumstances. So yeah, it sucks, but it's, he chose to suck. Sure. And, and, you know, and there can, I empathize with kids because they, uh, some of them don't have a choice to get out of that suck right now. Right. Right. So it's my job, my coach's job, teacher's job to show them, give them the skills to say, all right, here you are now. We got to resource you now with the free lunch and the free dinner, all this. We got to resource you, but we got to give you the knowledge to not make the choices to end up or to stay where you're at right. i can't change your your current circumstance um but how do i give you the values and the things to generally generationally change your family's path right okay and trying not to at the same time talk bad about their family or their mother or their father um but just to give them the skills and football is a great way to do it You've got to be, you've got to show up. You've got to work hard. You've got to get your butt kicked every once in a while. You've got to lift weights. You've got to run. You, you, you got to have, an, you know, there's another man across that's trying to hurt you. Yeah. Right? And you have to do what you can to keep yourself going. That's hard. Right. And, and you only get the reward if you happen to win on Friday night. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I've kind of come, come to this, uh, I was telling my wife this uh, yesterday that like after, talking to, to a couple of coaches like I've kind of come to this conclusion that um that football is like a balloon right that like on the outside of what you look at the balloon it, it looks like you know like 
field goal kicks and passes and stuff like that. But the balloon is only a, a super thin layer. And what's actually happening on the inside is all of this character and the, and like that, you know, like self-improvement uh, sort of self-betterment building that, that, that inflates the balloon into being what it is. Does that, does that resonate uh, with you? Yeah. If you're doing it right. 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 Like, I still think that there are surface level coaches who um, are ego driven. And I, I tell you, I was, uh more that way i don't think i was ever totally that way but that it's about them and their record and winning and winning at all costs and we see that in college we see that um in high school level like they'll recruit other people's players they'll do this that it's winning it's not building it's winning and when you do that right i've watched programs who will have success for a year of really talented players and then those talented players leave and the program goes down and then they wait for another wave of talented players. And I, I was watching one recently and, and I, and I'm looking at how the players are acting and the words that they're using and the poor language and the, the bad body language and all that. And they're very talented kids and their coaches are probably really football smart guys, but, uh, I think if you do it right, like any organization, whether it's the army or not, like you, you, you build the inside of that balloon. And, right. and uh, I, I don't think, I think there are some empty balloons though. I think there are some empty balloons that if you put a needle to it, it, it will pop and there will be nothing inside. And you just had a really good, you know, it, 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 the army, if you gave me all the best medics out of AIT and happened to join the Washington guard med debt, uh, you know, within three years when the ETS window starts, my, my, I might have a shitty organization yeah. uh, or I build it and, and we build trust and relationships and culture and, and, and it can sustain. Right. Um, so. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. The, um, definitely the, the short-sighted like winning attitude versus the long-sighted building attitude where you get like winning will happen because of, because of the, the building sure. for sure. And, understanding like we can we can all act like people care like i of course when i talk to my soldiers i think med debt's the most important unit in the watching guard i know that we are just a cog in this wheel that that is the army national guard right and that without our infantry soldiers we have no one to serve right understanding where you're at but like my principal i Look, if I run a clean program where kids are getting better and they're getting grades and they're showing up to school, she does not care if I win. And nobody in 10 years is going to, you know, coaches will say on your tombstone, they're not going to put your record. Right. Yeah. You know, people are going to show up to your funeral that you impacted. Right. There's not going to be, oh, he won, you know, a thousand games. So therefore we're going to his service. <laughs> I, you know, maybe at the college level and NFL level, that really matters because it's a, but at this level, we we think people care. Uh, you don't know what stadium's record was last year. You don't care. <laughs> no. And you probably won't know next year. Maybe because of this conversation, you'll look. But my dad, will, can, if I asked him tomorrow, what, hey, dad, do you know how many games we won? Uh, was it was it two? <laughs> but we, we all think we're ego-driven individuals, especially the ones that want to be good. And we think people really care. Uh, my son last night in the car was like, gosh, stadium football was bad, dad. I was like, dude. <laughs> He's like, but your players are cool. Like, he doesn't care. Right. Uh, so, 
I don't know. It, it's hard. It's hard to understand. I mean, it's hard to over time. You got to get it, but that makes sense. Well, I think like you'd probably get better over time. Like with your mentality on it, and it's the fact that your son is is already picking up on like, oh, your players are cool. That's something like that, that's raw material. Now you just build a house out of it. Yeah, yeah, and I'm, I'm, of course. You look. I want to win. I want to be successful. I want my players to win. I want them to feel that right. Um, and I think we'll do it. Um, but you know, yeah. end of the day. Well, sir, it's been about uh, we're, we're five minutes away from an hour, and I don't, I don't want to keep you you know too long. I know you got things to do there, there, uh, Ned. Debt, but uh, is there anything like any kind of parting uh, pearls of wisdom that you'd like to, to give the, the audience? Um, you know, I, 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 I look at leadership, uh, and I think it's it. I think people sometimes wait to be in put put in positions to be leaders uh, before they they choose to lead, and I, I would challenge everybody that listens to this is and and challenge everybody like uh, you don't have to be in a position of leadership to be a leader and and I, I don't I'm not a big believer that you're born a leader and there's certain people that can lead yes there's more charismatic people there's that but you got to find your strengths and and and, and use those strengths and then work on your weaknesses. But I just challenge people. Like I, I challenged my players yesterday and I challenged my coaches and I challenged my soldiers. Like it's okay to step out there and, and try to lead people and, and, and don't be someone you're not. So um, leadership is, it's difficult. It's work, but I think at the end of the day, if you care about people, they're willing to follow you. And so uh, I challenge everybody just, you know, care about people, give a dang, be a good person. And uh, I think things work out for you and, and people will at least understand that, you know, win or lose, you care and we're yeah. in it together. So, no, that, uh, that, that resonates with me. I had a, whenever I first started seminary, first kind of on the road to chaplaincy, the, my biggest mentor told me, he goes, they'll always forgive um, a bad sermon, but they won't for, forgive you not caring about them. And I was just like, you know, that's, you know, that, that, that has stuck with me a thousand times. Cause like, I'll tell you, like, uh, technically I've screwed up a lot of different things or whatever else, but like, I would never let myself like just ignore a phone call or, or not get back with somebody or whatever else. Like, you know, that's, that's really like, that's where you win, I, I think. And I think it seems to be the same way uh, on your side of the house. Yeah. Uh, Coach Urban at Trinity used to tell us all the time, tell the players and us like, Plant seeds now for others to enjoy the shade. Um, and I think early on in leadership, you kind of, hey, we've all felt this way. You leave an organization and, and, and in your gut, you kind of want it to fail. And, and so, that the, so that your ego is stroked and you look and say, hey, look, when I was there, they did this. And when I left, it crumbled. Um, that's a hard fight in your head, right? And, and that's an ego fight. And instead can you switch the mentality with the way you're you're just planting it you're just a space and time and then let others enjoy the shade of the tree of the seeds you planted and when you can get to that point um i think that the the you'll you'll start to understand how much caring matters yeah. and people start to notice like you're not doing this for yourself you're, you're doing it for others and that to me that's leadership right um yeah yeah I think that's a good place to, to end it. Thanks so much, sir, for, uh, for being on. Uh, it's been a great episode. Thank you. Appreciate you. Absolutely. Thank you.
This has been the Raven Report Podcast, the official podcast of the 81st Striker Brigade Combat Team. If you're interested in seeing if you have what it takes to join our team, go to our Instagram and click the link in the bio. Click the join link and connect with us.